Welcome and all aboard A Problem Squared, the podcast that attempts to solve all of your problems, like some kind of train which starts at you've got a problem central and terminates at no longer got a problem junction. Although, to be fair, most people are just along for the ride. And you're in safe hands with myself, Matt Parker, a mathematician and performer, I guess, and my fellow driver, Beck Hill, the uh, soon-to-be internationally famous TV star <laughs> of uh, Takeaway Makeaway. No, wait, Makeaway Takeaway. That's awkward if I uh, get that the wrong way around. <laughs> Beck. Hi, can I be the controller? No, the conductor. You can be the controller. Yeah. You know what? I wasn't 100% sure on what the current staffing requirements are on a train, yeah. but I think conductor is still a thing. Yeah. Anyway, thank you all for joining us uh, on this episode of A Problem Squared. How many Becks could fit in Becks Hill? I'll be looking at which animal would form the longest queue. And a potential solution to a problem we had in 012 about whether a fluffy jacket could keep you cooler in hot weather. See, we tackle all the most pressing, pragmatic problems available. Uh, Let's get into it. Choo-choo! So, Beck, how how are you doing? I'm good. I'm very tired because we're filming Makeaway Takeaway at the moment, which is yep, yep. Uh, very long hours uh, in the studio, but it is going to be a great show. I know you've been busy because I suddenly no longer get any text messages or phone calls from <laughs> Beck Hill during waking out. Like, you're, you've just disappeared <laughs> off the face. Of, I'm like, wow, she must be busy during regular hours. That's amazing. <laughs> I did manage to send you a message at one point in the evening, I think, because at the moment for the uh, listeners, I'm I'm getting up at 5.30 in the morning and walking to the studio because we want to keep COVID safe and I want to limit the amount of contact I have with people. And so I've been listening to um, music again, which I haven't really uh, needed to as much because I haven't been walking anywhere as much. And I found a playlist that I'd made for you, Matt. Yes. <laughs> Ages ago that I'd forgotten about. And it's a, it's a pretty good playlist. It was one I put together for you to write your book to and then forgot. Yeah, no, but the thing is, I tend to listen to music, not when I'm walking, but when I'm writing. Yeah. So being locked at home, I mean, I've done a uh, dangerous little writing, but uh, I've still been listening to music whenever I do get down to write. And so I got a message from you late at night where you would <laughs> uh, rediscovered this playlist and so um i think which was a problem i was like beck I, I'm, I'm writing a new book i need new music and so you've assembled that playlist for me and so i uh between then and now uh, i don't want to stun you no book writing has occurred <laughs> but the moment i sit down to do some I, I will fire up that playlist and i will report back I am excited, though, because uh, I also, just between when our last episode came out and we're recording this one, uh, it was announced that uh, my three books, well, the first three books of a series that I'm writing will be coming out called Horror Heights. It's a a horror series, sort of a a little bit like Goosebumps in the sense that they're sort of more bite-sized novellas. And uh, yeah, I'm really, really excited. Basically, the funny thing is a lot of people are like, oh yeah, I'll buy this for my niece or nephew or my kids or something. And um, I'll be honest, Matt, I wrote this very much as a story for myself and just made sure the language was appropriate. <laughs> yep. So part of me is like, don't buy it for them, buy it for you. It's really funny. I don't know how to break this to you, Beck, but I suspect it will be perfect for children. <laughs> Ow. 
I'd like to say it's perfect for everyone. Thank you. Oh, that too. That too, obviously. <laughs> That's what I meant. That's what I meant. Yeah. And when would these books, uh, when would they be on the on bookstores, shelves? Uh, the Slime is the first one and it comes out uh, on the 30th of September, so a month before Halloween. Well timed. And then the second book will be coming out early next year. I mean, you've been filming your soon-to-be award-winning TV sensation and you've been releasing your series of books. Uh, I discovered a hole in my house. <laughs> That's been my um, my recent adventure. <laughs> there are worse things to find holes in, I guess. Good point. And there are worse things to find in your house. But um, I happened to find a hole in my house. Do you remember very early on in lockdown, I, I forget what, we were messaging for some reason. And I said, I'm putting down like a new flooring over my downstairs bathroom yes i wish i told you i was boxing in a pipe because when they installed the downstairs sink they the laziest way to do it which is fair enough i wasn't paying them to spend forever doing this properly i want it done quickly and cheaply they knocked a hole through the wall into the understairs area ran the pipe along the wall in that understairs zone yep. and then out an external wall and I was always nervous because I keep a lot of stuff under the stairs. It's like a general storage area. I was going to lean something against that pipe. And it's just like PVC piping. And I'm going to break it. It's going to be a leak. It's going to be a nightmare. And I decided I want to box it in, which is where you just build a wooden mm-hmm. frame and, and sides around whatever is sticking out. And so I, I, I started doing that. And I previously put down that same flooring under the stairs. I discovered that where they put the pipe out through the wall... The pipe is about 35 millimeters diameter. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, Americans, that's like um, uh, maybe a third of a cheeseburger across. <laughs> and um, the hole, the hole that it goes through is uh, over five centimeters across. And so right. and, and nothing blocks that hole. It's literally just a massive <laughs> hole in the wall. And the pipe goes through it, but there's nothing else in it. I can see outside <laughs> through that hole. And so now I've realized I've got this whole uh, just uh, dumping cold air into my house. Mm. Have you put anything in it? Well, I've got a plan. I'm not going to put, well, I've temporarily shoved some um, like pepper towel in there to block it off just to stop the cold air. But I've, I'm sure I previously complained to you about this. I'm always a little annoyed that in, in the UK during winter, it's so cold outside and so we spend a lot of energy heating up our houses. And so we live in a warm box inside a very cold environment. Yeah. But then inside that we have a fridge and we're spending even more energy to have a cold box inside the warm box that's inside the cold environment. Yeah. And so I've decided to not block up the hole. I'm just going to pipe that cold air into a fridge. So I'm just going to connect the, the cold box to the outside cold bit. Okay. And not have two layers of, of wasted energy on temperature changing. You don't want to just put your food outside? That, well, yeah, you, you, you did pitch that to me previously when I was complaining about this. And I have done that. The novelty in the UK of when it snows, making a snowman and storing my beers in the snowman just outside the back door has not worn off. I I never considered that, and that's very funny. Oh, it's t- definitely worth it. You're inventing a fridge that will only work yeah. during certain seasons. Th- yes, yes, that is a problem. I, yeah, no. So I'm going to use it for 
uh, like overflow beer and drink storage. Mm. Is this hole in your house like the exact diameter of a stubby of a of a beer bottle? <laughs> you know, That's... I'd have to reroute the pipe, but that would work. I could just drill a series of holes through, through the wall. If I just had like a grid of holes in the wall, I could just put a yeah. can in each one. Fill all the holes with cans. It gets kept cold from the outside, stops the cold from getting into your house. As soon as you take it out, you got a cold beer, plug it up with another one. See, exactly. That's what I'm trying to achieve. <laughs> um, but I've ordered some insulated conduit. And I need to, once the lockdown's over, purchase a secondhand fridge, cut a hole in the side of it, <laughs> run that tube straight in. Problem solved. What a, what a podcast. <laughs> We're solving problems in the intro. That's <laughs> Well, we did cover fridges in, I think, either the first or second episode, didn't we? So that does sound yeah, like a better use exactly. for an old fridge than to try and keep it actually running. So true. Mm. Hugely inefficient. Now get an old fridge, cut a hole in the side, connect it to the outside. Done. I'm impressed. Thank you. But enough about my problems. Let's hear some others. <laughs> let's, let's do some others. Our first problem comes from when we were still accepting problems via Twitter and Twitter alone, which was last year. This is a this is an, an oldie mat. We're working through them. Yeah. It's from at Chris the Tide. And they asked how many Becks could fit in Becks Hill. <laughs> And I thought I should answer that because I've I've got access to the uh, dimensions. You are uniquely qualified. Yes. Now, Becks Hill, for anyone who uh, is maybe outside of the UK or is unaware, it's not spelt the same as Beck Hill. Becks Hill is spelt B-E-X-H-I-L-L as one word, uh, Becks Hill on C. And it's in Sussex, which is sort of the um, South England. It's on the coast. Yeah. yeah, on the coast. That's the word I'm thinking of. I've never been to Bex Hill. You've never been to Bex Hill? Beck Hill. I know. What? Do you know what? I was going to, and then lockdowns happened for a year. And funnily enough... You were not. I'm not buying that. It was always on my list of one day I'll do this. Do you know how many times I've been to Matthew Parker Street? A lot. <laughs> I frequent Matthew Parker Street. Where is it? It's in Westminster. It's pretty cool. Though Bex Hill, I mean, I've been there once because we did a show there when we were on tour with Festival of the Spoken Nerd back in uh, 2015. Ah. And it was lovely. Well, when you were there in 2015, do you remember what month it was? It was October 2015. Oh, you would have gotten there almost immediately after their festival they had in September where they broke the world record for the most amount of mermaids in a single area, which was... What? 325 mermaids lay on the shore of Becks Hill and uh, got a Guinness World Record. By mermaids, I mean people dressed as mermaids. <laughs> okay, yeah, thank you. Yeah. That would just be a record number of mermaids. Yeah. Because it was, wasn't zero. Um, <laughs> that feels deeply achievable. Like... Between us, we must know over 325 people who would dress as a mermaid at medium to short notice. Oh. And I know we're not meant to gather in groups at the moment, but that does not mm. feel, um, you know, it was 2015. It was, you know, maybe that was impressive. I wonder if we could break a virtual record for the amount of, most amount of people dressed as mermaids on a Zoom call. On the same Zoom call. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
Hey, I mean, we would either break that record or set that record. And I very much suspect it would be the latter. <laughs> so, yeah, that was that was one of my facts. I've got a second fact about Bex Hill. Oh, so do I. Oh, we'll trade. We'll trade second facts. OK, I'll, gi- I'll give you my this is my second and final fact is that in uh, 2012, it was. Uh, was found to have the most amount of centenarian, someone who was a hundred. Oh, oh, a, like a centurion. Centurion. No, that's not. No, that's no, no, that's, 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 that's the Roman army thing. <laughs> I know, I know, I know. <laughs> it has the most amount of a hundred old plus people in the UK. Wow. You're welcome. Good facts. My second fact is. In October 2021, this is the future. Wow. The East Sussex Astronomical Society, who meet in Bexhill, uh, will be hosting Professor Lucy Green as their speaker. Hey! Imagine if that had been my fact. <laughs> I'd, I'd be like, you stole my fact. <laughs> Professor Lucy Green being my wife, for people um, <laughs> wondering why that's we're so amazed that an academic is doing a talk in Bexhill. Hey! Uh, excuse me, Matt. You could still be amazed that an incredible professor is going to be in Bexhill. That's very true. <laughs> I think I don't. I assume October twenty-one. I think they're probably still going to be an online event, but potentially it could be in person. So, well, if we are allowed to travel, maybe I should use that as my excuse to finally get to Bexhill as well. Yeah, there you go. Mm. So the the only other thing you need to know about. Bex Hill, and that is getting us into solving this problem, is that I looked it up, and it is 32 point... I don't know if you can see my hand, Matt. I might have to take a photo for the socials. Look at my hand. That's all my calculations for today's episode. <laughs> You've got numbers scrolled all over your hand. Went to wash it earlier and wow. stuff. I, that's why I can't read what the, what the word is, centenarian. Just to describe this for the listeners, if you are watching a <laughs> 90s comedy film, and one of the characters had to hilariously cheat in an exam, (laughs) they would have this level of scrawling all over their hand. But then imagine they did a comedy like brow wipe because of the sweat, and now they look at their hand, they're like, oh, and it's all all smudged. And I end up with like ink all over my forehead. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I can thankfully read uh, that Bexhill is 32.31 square kilometres. So in order to work out the answer to this problem, I first went to measure my diameter and then I remembered how hard it is to pack circles. And I went, no, 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 no. Classic, classic problem, squared problem. Yep. So instead, I worked out that I am 29 centimetres by 45 centimetres. You know, so I've got like a little rectangle that I stand in and... yeah. Stamp that around like a like a grid, and that worked out to one thousand three hundred and five square centimeters. So all I had to do was work out how many me's could fit in thirty two point thirty one kilometers squared. So I worked out how many square centimeters should fit in a square kilometer, and then I times it by thirty two point thirty one. So you've got the total area of Bex Hill in square centimeters now. Yeah, and then. I divided that by my dimensions, and the answer is 247,586,206 me's is how many Beck Hills we could fit in Beck's Hill. But Matt, why would I stop there? 
because I was like, I don't have access to a machine that can multiply me. Maybe this person wanted to know how many people call Beck Hill can fit in Beck's Hill. Could be in Beck's Hill. All of them. So I thought I need to find out how many people called Beck Hill are in the world. I, and I, uh, yeah, spoiler alert, Matt, you're right. There is fewer than 247 million. <laughs> There's fewer than 247 <laughs> mega Beck Hills. Oh, okay. <laughs> so... Uh, the way that I worked that out, because it was actually really difficult, I found one website that can tell you roughly how many people have your name in America, but not necessarily worldwide. And then I managed to find a website called uh, forbears.io, and it looks like they just pull in statistics and data from as much stuff as possible, and it, they sort of approximate stuff. However, I can't search based on first and last name, I can search based on first name and I can search based on last name. So I found that on record, gotcha. I suspect that, well, in terms of Hill, there are 810,045 people with the surname Hill. And then I looked up Beck and there's only 6,680, which I thought was quite small. Funnily enough, most of them in Australia. It was the only place where it seemed to be quite common. And then to work out the odds of the amount of people in the world having both of those names, I worked out that that means that there's 810,045 out of 7.674 billion people in the world. And then there's 6,680 people called Beck out of 7.674 million people in the world. And then I took those results as percentages and then I multiplied the numbers of those percentages together and I ended up with a result of 81 Beck Hills. But then I was like, that seems very small. I actually already know a Beck Hill from Adelaide. Like, you know, that's just me. There's got to be loads more. And then I remembered, of course, yep, yep. I wasn't born with the name Beck Hill. If we did a census, it would be Rebecca. It wouldn't be Beck. Yeah. That's only the amount of people born with the name Beck who go by that name, you know, officially. So really what I should do is work out how many Rebeccas there are who might choose to go by the nickname Beck for this problem. I think if there was a big Beck Hill Fest gathering, a lot of Rebeccas would switch to Beck for the purposes of attending Beck Hill Palooza. Yeah. At Beck's Hill. I would argue the majority of the Becks will be born Rebecca's, will be Rebecca's. So yeah. then I found out that there are 7,234,407 Rebecca's in the world. That's more like it. Which obviously is a much, much higher uh, number. So then I did the same calculations I did for, uh, for the Beck and the Hill and worked out that it would be... 23,676 Rebecca Hills. So if we add those two numbers together, all the Rebecca Hills, all the Beck Hills, we get 23,757. I looked it up, Matt. There's like twice as many people as that in Beck's Hill. Oh. So we could fit all the Beck Hills in the world in Beck's Hill 
comfortably, not even squished. Like we could live there. We could have, you know, double the space that the current residents have. So I've, I feel like if that hasn't solved that problem, I, I don't know what has. I feel like you might have, and I, th- I think this is good news, slightly more Beck Hills. I think you've calculated the lower limit, the, the minimum number of Beck Hills. Because your calculation assumes that the probability of someone's first name being Rebecca is unrelated to the probability of their surname being Hill. And I suspect they're not totally independent for cultural reasons. I suspect they're linked. I mean, what you've done is a perfect first approximation. And I suspect if you factored this in, you would get slightly fewer Beck Hills. I mean, that'd still fit in Beck's Hill, but uh, I have no idea how you'd actually work that number out. You'd probably have to work it out country by country. That's a really good point. But I think your conclusion is 100% correct. Well, I would also argue that the majority of Rebecca's uh, probably don't go by Beck. I mean, certainly not in the UK. So maybe it would even out. I I suspect you're right. Yeah. So there you are. Every Beck Hill could live in Beck's Hill. Yeah. That's great. Well, I look forward to our trip to Beck's Hill. Yes. Do we know if there's currently a Beck Hill living? It's probably not. You're probably the, the only Beck Hill in Beck's Hill. We'll find out. If you're a Beck Hill living in Beck's Hill, give us a shout out at a problem squared. You going to ding that or what? I think that's a ding. Yay! That's a 100% a ding. Well done. <laughs> our next problem comes from Chris in Ghana, who has said they only recently discovered the podcast... Because they watched 8 out of 10 Cats Does Countdown. So, Beck, we were wondering last episode if people would make their way this far in the Beckerverse, and they have. (laughs) So, welcome, Chris, and other listeners who saw Beck on TV and or downloaded the episode online, and now are joining us, (laughs) yeah, in in the far-flung corners of Beck's um, creative output. So, Chris has a problem for us. So they apparently they've been thinking about some kind of Noah's Ark scenario, but <laughs> the, and they give scant details on why or how, but they're more focused on if you got every animal, which species would form the longest queue when all individuals of that species would be queuing up. And then they've clarified, post-COVID, no need to worry about social distancing. So this is the problem from Chris, who very kindly put that in our problem posing page at aproblemsquared.com. If anyone else has a problem that they want to give us that, I mean, people tweet them at us, but the problem posing page is the most reliable way because they get injected straight into our database, uh, which Chris did. And so the question is, if each species, like all the animals that are that species got together, and every single species formed a queue, which line would be the longest? And I'll get into my attempts at research in a moment, but uh, I'm, I'm curious to know, just off the top of your head, and I've asked a lot of people this, which mm. animal do you think would form the longest line if they all got together? So, uh, Beck, what, what would be, what's your instinct on this? Well, I mean, it depends if you're saying what type of type of animal or species, because obviously types of animals are then are then divided up into species. Correct. Chris has specified species. A specific species. And species is more general than animal too, which I thought was interesting. 
Yeah, because obviously if you were going with just the uh, different species of an animal, then insects, because there's like a million different species of insects. Yeah. But, uh, you know, if you were to take, there might, you know, some of them, there might only be like 10 of those insects left in the world. I don't know. So it wouldn't be that much. So, yeah, I guess species. Does I don't think this person entirely understands how Noah's Ark works. Noah didn't take all of the animals. No. Noah took two of each. And presumably just the ones that couldn't swim, you know? Yeah, yeah. So the question really is, what do you think potentially has the most individuals in a species that is also long? That's kind of, that. that's what we're going for, yes. isn't it? Yeah, that's the question. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I feel like oh, it's, I feel like it's going to be weird, like you know, the common rat or something, because <laughs> there's loads of them. Okay, yep, loads of rats. Maybe cockroaches. Ooh, a lot of cockroaches. I'm just trying to. I'm thinking more about like numbers of a species as opposed to the length. Producer John, have you got a guess? Uh, I do. Thank you for uh, asking me, Matt. Well, I'm curious. If you're looking for something of which there are a lot of. And is also quite big. I'm going to go with yep. a cow. A cow. Ooh. There are a lot of cows. Cows are that's big. That's good. Ah, oh, there's a lot of chickens too. Oh, chickens. Yep. Yeah. I asked Professor Lucy Green, despite being a space scientist, she was prepared to think about biology. She pitched worms as um, the longest one. If you had a look at a lot of worms and they're yeah. long, so you, yeah. you cue them up. So uh, the reason I'm asking for guesses is when I took this problem on, I originally thought, well, first of all, I thought the question is just which species, if you multiply the population size by the average length of that species, gives you the biggest number. And I thought I'll just get a database of all the animals and then I'll multiply those terms together and then rank it by the result. And I could not find any nice authoritative database that would give me the answer. I did find there's a thing called the Catalog of Life, which is like a big omni database of a lot of different biological research put together. And my database mate Oliver gave me a hand to download this entire thing and go through it. And it just hasn't got consistent population sizes, hasn't got lengths. So I had to kind of do it by hand. I had to just try and find data where I could and make sure I hadn't missed any, which is why I asked people's suggestions to make sure I included those in my calculations. So the first thing I did was I went to Wikipedia and copied and, and tidied up the data on every single land-dwelling mammal to see <laughs> if I could then rank those by population size and then see if there are any that then I should look at their length. And it turns out the top ones, it's absolutely humans uh, are right at the top of the list. Oh, yeah. And things that are domesticated are right at the top of the list. So if you're talking just humans, there are just over seven and a half billion of us. And now we know how many are Beck Hill. We know how many are Beck Hill. <laughs> now, you worked out Beck Hill standing up. Oh, yeah. But if, if, if you're getting all the humans to queue, we would form a much longer queue if we were all lying down. Yeah. So if every single human was lying down as a queue, that queue would be 13 million kilometers long. But if we all stood up, then it's going to be a much, much smaller queue. And I, um, I'd kind of estimated the um, distance between people when they're queuing. But Beck, you've now given us a new 
a measurement of 29 centimeters per person in the queue. <laughs> so I'm just going to pop that into my spreadsheet here. And so uh, all humans, if, we, if they were all backs and they were in a queue, very snug, just over 2.2 million kilometers long, that line. So I think humans might win if we're allowed to lie down. If we're forced to stand up, we are not going to win. I think we are overtaken by cows. I think producer John has got it. Uh, All cows I worked out are just over, they're about 3.6 million kilometers if you're cows long. Wow. Chickens, depends what size you assume a chicken is. I, I couldn't find any good reliable data on the average size of a chicken. So then I remembered my brother has four chickens. And so I just asked him, I was like, hey, how big are your chickens? And um, he's compared his four chickens, whose names are Fluffy, Candy Cane, Luna, and Ron. <laughs> what their... Okay. That's like the name of the ghosts in Pac-Man, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Blinky, Pinky, Inky, and Clyde. Yeah, exactly. Ron is the Clyde of those chickens. <laughs> but with this very small sample of four chickens, my brother very kindly measured their chickens, and he reckons that 45 centimeters per chicken if the chickens were in a queue. So maybe slightly less for actual chicken length, but queuing chickens would be 45 centimeters, which means all chickens in the world, just over 11.6 million kilometers. Out in front of cows, just behind lying down humans. So if we get to lie down, humans would still win. But if humans have to stand up, chickens will take the lead. Wow. But then I was like, what about worms? I couldn't get I couldn't get numbers on worms. There are no good numbers on worms out there. I found a children's fun fact worm page from the University of Illinois. Mm-hmm. It's got like a cartoon worm saying, "Did you know all this about worms?" And I don't know how well researched this is, but they say there's about a million earthworms per acre of land. But also, they say there are 2,700 different types of earthworms. And so I, I don't uh, know. Each species. one's a species. I had the same problem with ants. If you lump all ants together, because all ants together weigh about the same as all humans together. There are a lot of ants out there. And I took an average length for the 10 quadrillion ants that are apparently on Earth. And they would be, oh my goodness, they are 54.7 billion kilometers long. That's enough to go around the world 1.3 million times, which is just insane. And that's only in the center of the world, isn't it? That's not like... That's just in the middle, yeah. Matt, you couldn't do that because they would eventually get bigger and bigger and the outside, they would add more and more. So either you're winding them around the center of the world and that's getting more yeah, and more Yeah, you want to go side by side. Or, yeah. or you're going... Yeah, you're making a cylinder, you are. You're not covering a sphere. I'm making, yeah, yeah. No, I was, going, I was doing cylinder, not a sphere. You're right. Um, not the biggest source of error in my calculations, it turns out. Um, but then they said there's 12,400 species of ants, we think. Uh, but I, was, but I, I don't know how many are in each one. And if, and if you just assume that they're randomly distributed, then you're at about 4 million kilometers again. Right, right. So they're in the mix. That They're, they're cows... Humans standing up, ants on average 
more problems have been caused by this problem than solutions. Yeah. yeah. And I worked out, I actually did a little bit of digging when uh, this this problem came in because I, I knew you were covering it. But I was intrigued and uh, wanted to see what the definition of a species is. And, oh, I mean, I didn't know that, you know, Darwin had a whole thing about how difficult it is to really specify what a species is because there's so many different factors you can get. You can't yeah. necessarily say, oh, it's when they don't interbreed because sometimes they do. But likewise, sometimes you'll get two species that interbreed, but the offspring isn't necessarily its own species. Ugh. What's our motto here at A Problem Squared? Biology, sort your stuff out. <laughs> Biology, what a mess. It's so messy. And then I got into the whole thing about what classifies as an animal, what classifies as a creature, oh, yeah. what classifies as animate yeah. versus inanimate. Some people have theories that everything is either technically inanimate or animate, depending on on what you classify as. Ah, oh, it hurt my brain. And if anyone does want to waste an entire morning, do look it up. It's not wasteful. It's very interesting, but you know, wait till you've got a dinner party to discuss it over. Oh, it's a mess. And then I was like, what about bacteria? Not an animal. But Chris didn't say animal. Chris says species in the question. And so I worked out, I read somewhere, if you got a single gram of plaque off your teeth and you took all the bacteria out of that one gram of plaque off, off human teeth mm. and put them end to end, you're looking at 63 kilometers what? of bacteria. Oh. From one gram. And and I'm like, but how many species? Like, there's loads of different types of bacteria, but we don't know. Uh, so we have only categorized 30,000 types of bacteria, but there's going to be many, many more times that in existence out there. We just haven't got the data mm. on it. But I don't know if that, I don't, it depends what Chris is doing with them. Um, if he has to get the bacteria to line up. So it's, uh, what a nightmare. I liked your answer, Matt. I think Chris needs to just put every human that exists on their boat. Yeah, that works. Apart from the Becks or the Beck Hills. Yeah, we'll be happy in Becks Hill on sea while the rest of the everyone else is on sea. I'd say if we exclude ridiculous things like bacteria and we'll ignore worms, then the answer is if we're allowed to lie down humans, if we have to stand up, chickens. There you are. I think that is worthy of a ding. In any other business, I have finally got a solution to a problem we had in episode 012 from a Patreon supporter called Mike. The original problem for anyone who needs reminding was, I used to think of big fluffy jackets as being inherently warm, but of course, they're really just insulation from the cold. How hot does it have to be outside before wearing a jacket will help you stay cool? So... We discussed this problem in 012 yeah. and decided in the end that obviously there are a lot of variables and different factors and uh, it was sort of impossible to solve unless we knew what environment we were talking about. And so I said that I would try and do it in a sauna and just yeah, yeah do that as an experiment and work out what the result was. And then, of course, lockdowns occurred and uh, saunas became impossible and it got shelved. And then I 
was contacted by a company called Higher Dose, and they sell sauna blankets. A sauna blanket. A sauna blanket. And for the uninitiated, as I was, what is a sauna blanket? Uh, the best way I can describe it is it's like a, a waterproof sleeping bag, which heats yep. up. It's infrared, and it and it gets really warm. <laughs> Hot, you might even say, but not, not to a bad level. <laughs> I've been semi-dismissively referring to it as the electric sleeping bag, which I don't think is inaccurate. Yeah, it's a, it is a lot more technical and scientific than that, but... Um, if you're trying to imagine what it is, then that's probably the easiest way to go about it. And essentially, it, it's been created so that you can have a sauna experience at home and not need a massive box to sit in or anything like that. And I thought, brilliant. Yes. Can I please wear a giant fluffy jacket in it? And they said, of course. <laughs> so, they, so they sent one out and I, I did yep. actually film this for YouTube because, uh, trust me, it is funnier to watch than it is to imagine. And uh, basically just looks like I'm sort of, you know, there's uh, vegetables that you put in the bags and then put in the microwave. (laughs) (laughs) Right. Yep. yep. It looks like I'm sort of doing that. It was really funny to watch back because honestly, I really, well, you know this and I've talked about this on the podcast before. I miss, like, I love the heat. And I really, really miss being yep. hot. I like humidity. I've always uh, enjoyed being in those sorts of environments. And neither of us have been back to Australia for a while now. Exactly. Yeah. I'm starting to feel the withdrawal from not getting my uh, my dose of the warmth. Yeah. So I really enjoyed doing it because I was finally in a situation where I got really hot and sweaty without doing the workout. And so I just lay there like just chilling out having the time of my life when you watch it back my face is completely blank like you can do you know why that is like because i am not thinking about anything it is the closest i've ever been to meditating (laughs) (laughs) just chilling in your electric sleeping bag ah just stewing in my juices i loved it wow but the (laughs) the first one that i did i did without a big fluffy jacket and i keep saying big fluffy jacket because that is how the question was worded I have different types of coats and jackets. I have those, uh, you know, big puffer ones where they're sort of the ones you wear in the snow. But Mike specifically said big fluffy jacket, which I have, which is the one that I carried out the experiment with. It was big. It was fluffy. Very fluffy. Yeah, it's, it's exactly, exactly as Mike said. So the first time I did it, I did it without the jacket. The controlled stew, as we call it. The controlled that. stew, yep. And the temperature of the sauna blanket was 65 degrees Celsius. Whoa, that is a warm blanket. Yeah. Wow. And my body temperature was 36.3 degrees Celsius when I got in. Right. And I took my temperature every five minutes. I'm not going to take you all the way through it because I explain it on the video. If anyone is listening and wants to watch, it's on my YouTube, uh, just Beck Hill Comedian. I'm sure if you look up Beck Hill a fluffy jacket or something it'll show up as well yeah just just go onto youtube search for electric sleeping bag you'll find it in no time right (laughs) what was your final final temperature my final temperature after 30 minutes was 38.8 celsius now for people who are kind of worried about your well-being that's just like your 
surface temperature. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I should explain. Matt, you sent me a thermometer that would allow me to yeah uh, to have the temperature of... My digital thermometer. Yes, you sent me that. And uh, it was surface temperature. You're right. I should explain that this wasn't anything that was going inside me. <laughs> It wasn't anything taking my core temperature. I know, because I want that back. So, you know what? On reflection, you can keep the keep the thermometer back. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, 30, 38.8 degrees Celsius was my surface temperature. With no fluffiness, no coat, nothing. No fluffiness. And in that one as well, I was, properly, I was properly starting to bead. I think I got my first beading sweat. Around sort of just after the 10 minute mark or something, I was like prop. And then it. it was just constant. Yeah. With a fluffy jacket, same same temperature for the blanket, 65 degrees Celsius. My body temperature, my surface temperature, sorry, that day was 36. So it was 0.3 lower. Okay. I'm sure some people will argue that makes a huge difference. Yeah, close enough. By 30 minutes, I was at 38.1. Ooh. I was 0.7 degrees Lower. So even though I started out 0.3 degrees lower, I ended up 0.4 on top of that. I think that's significant. I I would I think that is a noticeable change. Yeah. Have you got, you've got the kind of the temperature, like I guess you were consistently just a bit lower than the control stew. Well, it's funny you say that because the gap actually fluctuated between the two. Oh. So at one point... Around the 20 minute mark, I was 37.3 in the jacket, 38.6 without the jacket. So it was like a full degree 0.3 difference. Yeah. And I remember, in fact, in at 20 minutes without the jacket, I was sweating so much. Like, because I was sweating like you would in a sauna. I was sweating the amount you're supposed to sweat in that environment. With yeah. the fluffy jacket on, I literally just felt warm. I felt like I was snuggled up in a blanket in winter watching TV. I just felt real, you know, just comfy. bit bored, actually, yep. to be honest. Well, I, I suspect, because when you're wearing that, that blanket, you're going to delay, like it's insulation, so you'll delay you warming up, but you're not going to yeah. you're not going to stop it permanently eventually the heat will catch up with you exactly so i think you're just buying time at one point over a degree benefit but then it, the the gap is going to gradually close i did actually have, there's a graph on the video if anyone wants to see uh, the plot points uh, of the two uh, following my temperature every 5 minutes and then how they look compared to each other i will also post that up on instagram and uh, twitter when this episode goes out but yeah uh it's exactly as you say matt i my i suspect looking at the way it happened it meant it delayed it but it was starting to catch up what i don't know is if after the 30 minute mark at any point it ends up becoming the same or worse that's a good point you have to spend a lot longer in the Mm. um electric sleeping bag but i would say i mean that's amazing beck you have both comprehensively managed to solve this problem experimentally, which is really good. And you've got yourself a free thermometer. So frankly, it's uh, it's amazing all round. So I'm going to give you a ding, absolute ding. And it took us a little while, but we got there. From episode 012 to 017, problem solved. Ding. 
Before we finish up, I want to give a shout out to the hashtag Nobel for Milliver, which is a campaign being run by the Inspiring Girls charity who are working to inspire girls to move more into other industries where there uh, is not an equal representation of women at the moment. Uh, they are working to get more recognition for Milliver Marik and her work as a mathematician until uh, now she has mainly been known as Albert Einstein's wife but obviously contributed a huge amount to STEM and they would like to get that recognised. So if you would like to join in by spreading the word, use hashtag Nobel for Milliver. That's N-O-B-E-L-F-O-R-M-I-L-E-V-A. And we're asking all women to take photos of themselves, poking their tongue out to copy the same picture that Albert Einstein was uh, famous for. The famous tongue-poking-out Einstein photo. Yes. Yep. Spread the word. Get it out there. We will put some links in the podcast description. Thank you so much, everyone, for listening to A Problem Squared, episode 017, as we finally pull into the No Problem Junction. Thank you, everyone, who sends in problems. Of course, you can go to problemsquared.com if you want to use our problem posing page. Now, you can say if you're offering a solution. So if you do have worm data... That's where you can let us know that you've got that. And thank you very much to our 182 Patreon supporters who all get to listen to these episodes a few days early. And if they're at the I'm a Wizard level of support, they get to listen to the uh, incredibly polished I'm a Wizard (laughs) bonus episode. And that's it. I've been Matt Parker, joined by Beck Hill. Our producer, John Harvey, is behind the scenes, who's somehow going to edit what we've just recorded into an episode. And our curator of problems, Steph Keegan, who uh, we would normally just thank. It turns out today, Steph, if you're listening, we're recording this on your birthday. So at time of recording, it is your birthday. And so, I mean, as you are curator of problems, you should be listening to all the episodes. Uh, Happy birthday. Bye. Bye.